Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matthew Penny is back in the building. The triumphant return of our king, Matthew Penny. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm great. I'm, I'm excited. Feels like first day back to school for us and our parents should take our pictures with Game Theory t-shirts in front of our house or something. It's It's been a while. It's kind of been like our our summer vacation and I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of hearing what you do on your your break here on your, your couch or lockdown or how many british crime movies that you uh squeezed in the last two three weeks here so the first and foremost uh this is the first podcast i've recorded in three weeks so this is oh. going to be fun because it's going to be like <laughs> i'm remembering how to use those podcasting muscles uh, mm. i know that podcasts have been released but i recorded all of those except for just like a re-recording of a portland section and like five minutes on the lowry marketing deal um i recorded uh all of this three weeks ago even though they've just been coming out like last week you know i think that the last one came out on saturday previously so it's going to be fun to try and remember how to use these podcasting muscles in my brain and make myself not sound like a dumbass. We'll, we'll see. There will probably be a couple times where that happens. Uh, but no, everything's been good. The, the vacation did not necessarily... I took these days of vacation probably two months ago when Australia was not in lockdown and things were looking great. And then the Delta variant... Uh, quickly came and ended that uh plan to potentially go somewhere with my wife for our anniversary and i ended up staying on the couch for two weeks (laughs) quite literally couch surfing (laughs) was your vacation well the the good news is like i also lost 10 pounds like during that time i literally how does that that happen so the antithesis of sitting on the couch watching movies you got a snack on something you stay up too late you don't sleep so I'm allowed to run for like an hour a day outside. So I ran, you know, three to four miles every day, basically, or five days a week, let's say, not every day. Um, and then Laura and I like actually decided to eat really well. So it's funny how quickly like weight can just like fall off of my body whenever I uh, decide to not just eat like a fucking dorm roomed 18 year old uh it you know ohio state eating adriatico's pizza every night for people who uh, have been to columbus like god i miss adriatico's badly um but no it's just it it was fine it was a good it was good to get my mind off of basketball for two weeks basically yeah everyone needs a, a refresh reset every once in a while you earned it. You had, the, you had the draft, you had free agency, and then I, I did get a kick out of the, the one-man band monologues of, well, here's a trade I'm going to add to this that are recorded. I, I enjoyed those. Yeah, I didn't want to like force like yeah. Schlecht or someone to like come out and be like, oh, yeah, like we have to re-record this shit. No, I can just you – know, I can run it. Don't worry. I read, I read three books uh, during vacation. That was good. Um, I think I finished one as well. So the, I – Got a lot of reading in, got uh, some British crime shows in with Laura. We watched Unforgotten, which was interesting, and the first couple seasons were amazing. We watched uh, The Missing, which was like on Stars maybe like eight years ago, five years ago or whatever. That was uh, that was weird. That was an interesting show. I thought the first season was amazing. I thought the second season was a little bit less good, but the ending was better. Um, I, yeah, I think I saw that. I have to look that up. It sounds very familiar, but old. Yeah, I thought it was very... The first season I thought was very brave and like somewhat unsatisfying, um, which like makes for interesting art in some way. Uh, oh, I, have, I, I did see it. I liked it, yeah. Yeah, uh, and then... I'm trying to think I, I we didn't watch a ton of new movies i mean part of the problem is that all of the movies that are getting released over in the united states right now are getting released in theaters and we literally can't go to theaters like i have no way to go see shang chi right now because we how dare you can't go to theaters <laughs> so I, it's tough <laughs> I, I i assumed that maybe unjustifiably so that you come in firing with with hot takes about the white lotus and clickbait and all that and 
you just got to catch up a little bit. I, I, I kind of broke down what movies and shows I could lie that I watched week by week because I knew you'd eventually ask me to be prepared here. But we, uh, we're we starting the process again for, for this season, so we'll, we'll make sure they're covered eventually. There, there's no way clickbait is good, right? It was actually pretty good. I hate to was say it? it. I, yeah, I watched the preview and so many of those movies and shows I watched 10 minutes to say, nope, turn it off. But it was it was good. It was entertaining. Had a few decent twists I didn't see coming, which is fairly rare these days, I guess. I, I, I recommend it. I actually do have a funny story. So my wife and I were just like looking for something to watch. Um, we were both pretty tired. So we tossed on Absentia, which is that show with Stonikadich and um, like a few other people, uh, Ralph Innocent, the British actor or whatever. And the whole thing is like, she's an FBI agent that has been declared dead in Absentia for six years. And then like it's found, right? We, accidentally started on episode 10 which was the season finale of the first season (laughs) you won't believe what happens next the end there's nothing else to look forward to we were like sitting there and i was like this is wild for a first episode they're just like throwing you in you thought you had a few too many cocktails like why am i not piecing this together like i'm usually i'm usually usually my a game why is this moving so quickly and who's this person yeah (laughs) it was just like we hit the back button like at the end of the episode and it was like oh that was episode 10 season one Uh, not episode one season one classic mix-up yeah what a disaster okay let's uh let's talk about what we're going to talk about today uh in terms of basketball so this is the dead period of the nba i mean i am gonna do a podcast later this week on everything ben simmons uh it feels like rich paul and ben are trying to orchestrate an exit from philadelphia Uh, a conscious uncoupling if you will uh from the philadelphia 76ers do you remember the conscious uncoupling thing i don't but i thought it was a great title so that's a that's a great title for the podcast it's great to sell yeah conscious uncoupling was is that uh is that gwyneth paltrow and chris martin if i remember correctly oh god i think you're actually that? right yeah yeah i think that was, that was like their statement yeah um so it feels like that's on its way to happen i'm gonna talk uh about all of the kind of just where ben simmons stands in the nba and what all of these tactics are you know kind of unfolding and everything like that i'm going to talk about that later this week but this week we have some fun uh underneath the nba stuff such as imani bates committed while i was on vacation to memphis uh he's going to be playing with jalen duran we're going to talk about shaden sharp who has skied up the recruiting rankings over the course of the what last year and a half i would say realistically yeah it's been a two-year process but especially last year and a half to six months yeah uh we're going to talk a little bit about ote because they finalized their roster and that is just a fascinating project that matt and i have thoughts on and then just a couple injury things in college basketball i mean alan flanagan at auburn who you know was something like a top 60 prospect coming into the year looks like he's going to miss three to four months um i think that michi johnson at ohio state is going to be out for a little while seth towns at ohio state is going to be out for a little while uh namari burnett at alabama is going to be out for a little while so it's it's an interesting little time, not necessarily in the NBA, but in places with players that you will soon know in the NBA, I think is a reasonable way to put it. Yeah, no question. Okay, so let, let, let's start with the Imani Bates, Jalen Duren portion of this. Imani Bates committed to Memphis over, uh, what was that, probably a week and a half ago? Uh, sounds right, about two weeks, yeah. Yeah, and... Interesting to me because he'll get to play with Jalen Durant, who for me was the best player in uh, high school basketball that was left at this point in terms of being a good high school player, not necessarily in terms of upside uh, for the NBA long term. They're committing to a situation in Memphis that still has Landers Nolly and Lester Canones as shooters. Uh, they still have DeAndre Williams, who is an analytics darling at the very least. I don't know if he's like actually great at basketball, to be honest. I know that uh, some you know heavy analytics people will disagree with that, but 
I have some worries about how he actually impacts winning in a lot of ways. And then they have a kid there who is a six foot eight, four star named Josh Minot, who also is a fast rising potential one and done from what I gather. Have you heard similar on Minot? Yes. There's that roster is loaded as we'll get into. I don't know how much of an opportunity he'll necessarily have to show that year one, but the the flashes and, and upside are certainly there. Yeah, like can handle the ball, really twitchy athletically, uh, you know, all of that stuff. And then they also have Earl Timberlake, who, you know, was not healthy at Miami last year. Five star, people thought was a potential one and done. Uh, I've never totally gotten it with Earl Timberlake, but certainly will play a role on this team. The one thing that they're missing uh, very clearly, unless you trust Tyler Harris or Alex Lomax, is a point guard. And I am a little bit worried that we're going to see the Imani Bates point guard experiment in Memphis this year. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of it. Yeah. I'm I'm glad for Imani. There, there's a lot here. There's there's really just so much. There's so yeah. much. I'm I'm looking and I, I kind of have my own notes here and jumping around and we'll try to tie it together. First and foremost, I, I'm glad he made the move. Uh, yep. I tweeted this too. He, he's entering a true NBA developmental system. His head coach is Penny Hardaway, who played yep. 14 years in the NBA. Assistant coach Larry Brown, nine NBA stops as a head coach, won a championship in 2004 with the Pistons. New assistant Rasheed Wallace, six NBA stops, championship. Assistant coach Cody Topper, assistant with the Suns, head coach of their G League affiliate. He's going to a place where there's proof of concept that the staff actually knows what it takes to play and make it in the league. It's yep. not just lip service because they've actually done it. They've actually been there. And for Imani, he needs strength. He needs to show he can finish at the rim through contact. Needs to stay engaged defensively, impact the game without scoring. The burden he has must be enormous, and Memphis is a big-time school. But it's not this monster non-conference schedule or conference schedule either. It's a very good league, but the proper guardrails are there to assist in his development. That It doesn't have to happen overnight. This can be a two-year thing. You rattled off the names. Miami transfer Earl Timberlake, draft prospect. Oregon transfer Chandler Lawson. Landers Nolly averaged 13 a game. DeAndre Williams, Alex Darling to some. He's also turning like 25 years old, which is fine. Jalen Duran is a beast. There's not the pressure for him to go full Amani Bates experience from the jump, where if he went somewhere else, it, it may have had to do that. So, yeah, I really like the fact that he did this as well. I think it's absolutely the right call for him developmentally to push himself in this way and to push himself within a lot of this specific situation. I, I wish that he probably wasn't going to have to play as much point guard as he's going to have to, because I think he's he profiles better as an off-ball player long-term. Uh, but I think that there is a lot of... There's a lot of positives here that will help him, especially given the context of what he's coming from. Everything has just been... We've talked about this before on the podcast, but everything has just been built around him in such a substantial way throughout the entire course of his career from the time that he was 13 and even younger, probably. I mean, I, I can you know remember him being spoken about when he was 13, 14, but everything has been built around him from the time that he was at least 13 all the way until he is, what now, 17 years old, if I remember correctly? Yeah. Is he seven, yeah, he's mm-hmm. 17. So I, I think it's going to be good to get out of a situation where everything is so completely centered around him and where he's going to get to play with great players Mm, right? and very talented players because that's something that he has not done a crazy amount of playing at uh, Ipsy Prep and playing for Bates Fundamentals. Uh, He's played with some like good players, but nothing near the talent level that he... like. Josh Minot would be the best player he's played with. and uh, Aside from when he moonlighted with Team Final in the spring. Correct. Yeah, he played yes. with them, made hoops, played with them at uh, the Southern Jam Fest. He played at a couple events, and you could tell it was he wasn't expected to be the guy. And by the way, Team Final then went on to win the Peach Jam without him. Like, that's how good they were. Right. So there wasn't this enormous thing of every time he catches the ball, like, got to make a play, got to shoot, got to score, got to do something. Yep. So it, it is different that he that has guys around him. 
I don't, and I wanted to talk about the point guard thing with you because Penny Hardaway was a big point guard at 6'7", and while yeah. I like Imani's vision and court sense at times, I've never pegged him as a point guard. He searches far too often for his own looks, especially early in the shot clock, can over-dribble a lot, can be two east-west, making three moves, can be one. I pulled up the synergy stats from Peach Jam when he's with, back with Bates Fundamentals, 32 assists to 31 turnovers. A lot of those assists, in a good sense, were out of pick and roll to Sean Phillips, who's also a high major kid. It's going to be easier, and his numbers are going to be better with more spacing on the wings, and defenders are going to have to hug up to guys like Lester Canones or being forced to tag or help on a rolling Jalen Duran. But I, I, I do want to take a quick pause for a second for Penny Hardaway. I know it's a recruiting tool for him to tell Imani, come be me. I did this at Memphis, Memphis State, come be Penny. Do we remember how nasty Penny Hardaway was as a basketball player? Oh, disgusting. He was so good. Like, like I, I, I went back because I, I loved the, the Shaq and Penny days, and that's why he sold it, sell it as Neon Badeau and Butch McCray from Blue Chips. Here, here's Penny Hardaway's just quick rundown. It's just an update. NBA all-rookie team. First team, first team, all-NBA in seasons two and three in the league. Four-time All-Star, would have been more if not for injuries. NBA Finals in 1995, his second year in the league. Franchise record, 60-22 and 22 record in 1995-96. That's with Shaq missing the start of the year with a thumb injury. They're swept by Jordan's Bulls, who, hey, lose to the best player of all time. It, it happens. The Bulls rattle off three straight championships. And on top of that, an absolute cultural phenomenon with the sneakers, even still to this day. And Lil Penny, his alter ego, miniature figurine sidekick, gets so famous, he ends up in Blackstreet's No Diggity video. So, I, I know I'm dating myself with this stuff, but it's also almost sacrilegious. Like, uh, Imani has enough pressure. I don't know if we want to say, like, you're going to be Penny Hardaway either. Well, well, can we... I think it's worth noting, too, just that Penny Hardaway... When you go back and you watch the highlights of Penny Hardaway, I don't think that they're particularly comparable to the way that Imani played. Uh, oh, no, pe- no, me yeah. neither. Penny Hardaway was a more explosive athlete and had better shiftiness off the bounce than what Imani Bates did. Imani Bates is a better pull-up shooter and, yes. you know, I think is – I don't want to say, like, body control. Like, there's something to, like, the way that Imani moves in order. His footwork is a little bit better. I think he might be, like, a little bit more polished in terms of, like, getting to that pull-up jumper uh, and having that kind of – just length and knowing how to use that length to get to the pull-up earlier in his career than what Penny did. But Penny was absolutely exceptional in terms of getting into the paint, using crossovers, using shiftiness, using uh, his vision to then throw dump-off passes. You had to have like six different ways to guard Penny Hardaway. With Imani you kind of just need to take away the pull-up right now, and then you can have a help defender rotate over. Right, and Imani's probably a better perimeter creator for his own jumper than Penny was, but Penny had that explosive first step and, and bounce and, and springs would yeah. rise up and, and, and make plays. That That's the difference. His turnarounds are a little bit quicker, and I know it's a recruiting tool. Like I understand, but Imani's going to be best served as, as he can be this facilitator, but it's got to be from the wing. Like I don't want to see him playing – tons of point guard because then he's going to be pressured turns back to the ball he'll, he'll have run into the Kate Cunningham thing of having a high dribble and he's six yeah. seven. why is he playing point guard like that that's not going to be the best scenario for him to showcase what he is as a player yeah so like I, I take it two ways right like I, I think there are a couple different things you can say about that like in general yes I don't know that it's the best way to actualize Imani Bates right now but as a pure developmental thing it probably helps him long term to get to like be around Penny Hardaway and hopefully get the kind of skill development that we're talking about here at Memphis with all of this NBA coaching staff mm-hmm. and get pushed beyond his limits right now. Like I feel like that's always been the thing with Imani. Like I always have just worried how much is he getting pushed past his limits? How much is he just like getting really good at something he's already good at as like a pull-up scorer and as a driving scorer? I, I don't know that he has gotten all that much like better over the course of the last two years, realistically. And I think that the way that a guy like him gets better is by being pushed out of his comfort zone. And I think that this Memphis situation will push him out of his comfort zone 
in a real way, which is really good, I think. Like, it's hard. Like, I, there are so many different variables here, and there are so many different pressure points of we have Memphis's team success, which will absolutely be a pressure point this year because if Memphis goes like 20 and 13 or something, 20 Ooh, and 14, yeah. you're going to hear about it. You're going to hear about it, and we're going to hear, oh, Monty Bates is overrated, Penny Hardaway can't coach, Jalen Duran's overrated. Like We're going to hear all that, and that's going to be a real pressure point for these kids that have to live through it. Then there's the whole thing of maybe playing Imani out of position that we think his best long-term position is, but also there's the pressure point of developing and just getting better and setting yourself up for more advantageous situations long-term, which I think is probably better for him long-term, even if he has to deal with the adversity of what this year could be. Like, there are so many different factors here to consider, and it's just hard to wrap your head around all of them in a way that, like, you you feel good about, but also in a way that just, like, makes makes sense like uh, there's so many different ways that this could well, go really right there are so right. many different ways it could go really wrong like <laughs> yeah. i don't uh, well i don't we, know we've, we've, for, for him personally he was i don't want to say overrated but it was so sky high of kind of uh, of where people slot him out to be and then he has like a just okay year in spring and now it's like not rock bottom but low it's like if we split the difference it'll be fine the wrinkle well, that that i'm most interested in is because of where his birthday falls this is a two-year thing now, yeah. it might be a year here, and he might say, hey, I'm going to do G League Ignite for a year. Fine. But he yeah. can't declare for the draft after this year because of where his birthday is. So you could see him in Memphis for two years, potentially, or he could go overseas, or he could play for a G League. There's, there's different options and paths he can take. For Jalen Duran, he, he's there and he's out of there. And right. ironically, I thought for Jalen Duran, he would go more of the pro route because – he is a monster in the post. He, he's a man in He's so ready. <laughs> and and I, I, I don't know what it's going to look like in Memphis, but if there's 20 seconds left, like the play call for Jalen Duran is going to be put your feet on the blocks, you know, you know, to bury your shoulder and pump fake and then try to dunk over a guy. Whereas if he were in a pro situation, maybe it's a, a, a pick and pop and to a dribble handoff. It, there's just more pro sets out of it where they can develop more. And I couldn't tell you the G League Ignite record last year. I know they made the playoffs. They started off like seven or eight, no, but have no idea. If they were seven, there was 15 games, I think. They're seven and eight, could have fooled me. But you're absolutely right. If Memphis is 20 and 13 and fifth in conference, that's going to be known. Yeah, it's absolutely going to be a thing. And look, they, they should win the American. Uh, all due respect to Houston, who I think is going to be really good again. All due respect to SMU, who has uh, a lot of guys returning next year, and a lot of seniors, by the way, particularly. Like They have the Weathers brothers. They have Zach Nuttall, who was the Southland player of the year coming in. They have Kendrick Davis, who was first team All-AAC. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, like they have some real dudes on that roster, and basically all of them are juniors and seniors. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I'll do respect to all of those teams in the AAC that are going to be really good. Like Wichita State, probably uh, again will be pretty good. Like Tyson Etienne decided to return. Ricky Council Junior. or Ricky Council third, not it's junior. The fourth. The fourth. I yeah. Mean, fourth. Ricky. Yeah. Ricky Council is a guy that like both of us have been texting about back and forth. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Dexter Dennis is still pretty interesting, and all of these guys are older. They're all like twenty three years old, twenty two years old. So. <laughs> This is this is not an easy league, but Memphis is so talented. They have so many dudes that they should win this league. And if they don't, there is going to be a pressure buildup. And at the end of the day, I think that's probably going to be good for this these guys. Like yeah. being in the pressure cooker. The thing that we've said about Imani for a while is that he's been almost sheltered a little bit by being removed a little bit from everything right like he's been playing for Bates fundamentals which is built around him he's been playing for ipsy prep which is built around him he finally removed himself a little bit this summer by playing for team final and you know i don't mean to diminish the role that uh his parents have certainly played and uh you know i think elgin uh Bates deserves credit for you know trying to protect his son in an environment that can be wholly unforgiving and trying to get him to the NBA because Imani Bates was genuinely, he developed just so much quicker 
than any 14 and 15 year old that we've seen in a while right like he yep. was just better than any 14 and 15 year old uh, i've seen play high school basketball in a while having said that like the thing that you and i have always been a little bit concerned about is doesn't have a great frame doesn't really have any length like that's where the kevin durant comparisons have always broken down is kevin durant is like has always been six foot eight with like a seven foot three wingspan or whatever um then he grew to six foot eleven with like a seven foot five wingspan or whatever the hell it was um imani bates is like six foot eight has very thin frame and has like a six foot eight wingspan and that's always gonna be a worry as he moves up levels and has to finish around guys and has to uh finish through contact which is something that we've said here I think this is a great spot for him to try and figure it out, though. Oh yeah, like oh yeah, it's 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 different. It's different. You're under the microscope, but it's not nearly the size of the microscope if you went straight to the G League. He goes to G League, lays an egg. You you, you know right away. Yep. He lays an egg in Game Three versus St. Louis. People don't really care like all that much. They're gonna win. Or, or at Duke. Like if he if he would have gone yeah. to Duke, like yeah. somewhere like that pressure cooker, and I don't mean to like diminish the pressure cooker that is Memphis because that fan base well, not is at fucking all. crazy, and <laughs> well, I mean that now, now that now they now they have a reason to do it, they're, right? They're expecting the the Calipari level success of of being in the Final Four. I mean, right. is the Final Four going to be? I'm not trying to be Johnny Hot Take here, but like, is that enough for them? Make, they make the Final Four. Is their fan base going to be pissed? I don't, I, maybe I don't, I don't know. No, they, they'd be fucking ecstatic with that. Like, I, I think that yeah. they'd be good with that. I think they'd be it, happy with like, you win the AAC, you're an, you're a top two seed, you at least make the Sweet Sixteen, and like, you know, may, maybe you lose a game to a team that is good also in the Elite Eight, but. Uh, look like I, I think they just have to have success at the end of the day like the memphis fan base which I, when i say they're crazy i mean that like positively like this is a of course rabid fan base i love it but i think that they just want a winner at the end of the day like i, I think that yeah. they have just struggled for long enough now to where they just want a winner i will say this i really like what memphis has done building a non-conference schedule here they have scheduled teams early on in Lemoyne and Lane which are like subdivision 1 schools Tennessee Tech and NC Central which are like you know very low level D1 schools then they go St. Louis and Western Kentucky who I don't think either of those teams are going to be awesome this year uh, St. Louis should be solid but it's not it's not the caliber of this I mean they have Javante Perkins who could be preseason player of the year in the A-10 but it, it's right. different when on on this Memphis roster what is he the fourth or fifth best guy maybe and no no shot to him no slight to him it's just that speaks to how how much depth Memphis has right and they lost some dudes too like Hassan French and Jordan Goodwin theoretically could have come back and they decided not to right and they're older like they probably should be playing professional basketball at this point i don't mean to or, like, or, fo- or football for a son french right i think yeah right that. Or, he, or he was yeah so i think that that's a winnable game for them that will also test them in an interesting way and then western kentucky you know does not have charles bassey for sure and you know i think that they've lost tavion hollingsworth who went pro and yeah they have josh anderson and Jalen Butts, who was at DePaul, who's like a guy with size who can do some things, but like that's a winnable game for them at the end of the day. Um, I think they got Jerry's Hamilton too, the kid who's you know mm, been yep. traveling around here for that's a while right. now yeah, to a the few stops <laughs> through the ACC. Um, <laughs> talented kid, talented kid in size, but yeah, um, that's a winnable game. And then that's when the schedule kicks in because they have Virginia Tech, who you know Mike Young, that offensive scheme will really test them. I think. Then they're going to have probably Xavier, I would say, in that NIT season tip off in the Barclays Center championship game if they can get past Virginia Tech. Then they have Georgia, who they should beat, but that's a road game at Georgia, and that's their first road game, like true road game of the year. I like that they scheduled a true road game against a team that is not going to be good, right? Right. right. With all due respect to Tom Crean, like Tom Crean, I think, is good at kind of devising different schemes, but... You know that team just lost like eight transfers. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's a that's a hit. It is a hit. And then they get Mississippi on the road, which is a little bit tougher. Jarkel Joiner is really good. Like they have some 
actual players. Like but, I think they but, got. Oh, but Jayden all those Brakefield. guys are, you're, you're rattling off too. Like, if you drop one or two, like that's fine. That's fine. Like if you have two or three losses non-conference rolling into the AAC, that's right. fine. They're, they're, I don't think that the people will be coming after you right away. Right, and then they get Alabama and they get Tennessee. Yeah, uh, so then you got you, you build up some, some doozies. Memphis, Tennessee. I mean, that'll be it's a natural rivalry anyway. It'll just be crazier, just turned up, cranked up even more. So yeah, and Tennessee again is going to be pretty good. You know, Josiah Jordan James, and they got Justin Powell in the transfer portal. Uh, Victor Bailey, all his older players, and then obviously Kennedy Chandler is there as well as a potential one and done. Uh, John Fulkerson is somehow still there. Brandon Huntley Hatfield is yep. going to be there. Like that, fascinating game. Uh, I think against Tennessee, that'll be a fun one. And especially, yeah, especially given uh, December eighteenth, and especially given that Rick Barnes and Penny Hardaway seem to not be fans of each other <laughs> after last year's game. Um, Got to do the the phantom walkthrough handshake. Yeah, I'm going to be really interested in that. Um, oh. We're going to talk more about Jalen Duran, like, honestly, maybe even as soon as next week. So, like, I don't want to belabor the point on him, uh, you know, between doing this podcast and then, like, either a podcast either next week or the week after on him uh, within our preview of draft prospects. So, any other final thoughts on Memphis and where Jalen Duran sits here and where Imani Bates sits and, uh, just what we're excited to see about this team uh, a couple of closing thoughts one night that's that's the right fit i mean if, if i were in the driver's seat saying where to go and, and based on situation memphis was the right pick for imani bates it's it's like he's sort of jumping in the ocean but can see the shore it's not like yep. you jump in the ocean like how do i get out of here i'm in the nba i'm uh what do i do and yeah and, and, and by the way like let, let's let's take that one real quick uh i think it was better to do that than go to the g league ignite and i think it was better to do that than go even to like the nbl because yeah. the nbl look, it, oh, yeah. it would have pushed him but that's a very physical league in a way that like i think the nbl might make sense next year for him and you know we can talk about what he should do next year at some point like in the future because again he's not gonna be able to go to the nba because his birth date is january 28th 2004 which means that he does not meet the requirement of turning 19 in the draft year of 2022 so i think he's making the right call i agree with you and and this and we don't have to go go crazy on it, but just as a, a, a final note, name, image, and likeness was framed as potentially being the death of college sports. And, and mm-hmm. these type of scenarios without the NIL, Imani Bates and Jalen Duran probably aren't at Memphis. They'd be in Australia. They'd be with Overtime Elite. They'd be with G League Ignite. So yep. there's there's been positives for everybody involved. Yeah, anyone saying that nil his kill is going to kill college basketball or has hurt college basketball looks like a fucking moron like (laughs) not great not great returns right now what in the world are you talking about you could not be more wrong on that point um let kids make money like i understand that the people at the top of college sports want to keep all the money for themselves let the kids make money and hey, you're going to get to retain talent like Jalen Duran and Imani Bates. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back here with more. All right, we're back here. And the second topic we wanted to talk about is Shaden Sharp committed to Kentucky yesterday. Shaden Sharp is considered by some the number one player in the 2022 recruiting class. I'm like a little bit less sold on that, but a very interesting prospect nonetheless. And certainly something in the range of a five-star prospect. And he has a ridiculous amount of upside because of his ability to score the basketball and his athleticism. So what were your thoughts yesterday, Penny, when you saw that Shaden Sharp is going to Kentucky? The rumblings last couple of weeks that that was the, the destination. I, I, thought, I think Jeff Goodman tweeted it, that he's the first number one recruit for Kentucky in a decade, which is kind of crazy. And it varies a little bit on sites. Like some had Scal, obviously, number one in 2015 for Ben Simmons. 
uh, some kind of neurons well higher, whatever. Yeah, Classic and like for, for what it's worth on that front, it, I don't think Shaden Sharp is going to be the number one player uh, in terms of like the composite ranking. It's probably yeah, going to be if, one if of Amari back, Bailey or Derek Lively, right? Uh could be. Uh, my take is that he'll be number one across. We, we can split hairs whether we think it's true or not. If you go back and look at former number ones, they don't all pan out. So it's, it's not the end of the world. But it was a, right. a funky stat you never think of. Late bloomer kid. He was only a, a fringe top 100 recruit a year ago. He was a bench player at Sunrise Christian. He averaged six points per game. Transfers to Dream City. And, and then he missed like in-person evaluations like everybody else because of COVID. The tape popped. He played out in the grind session in Arizona because they didn't have any sort of mandates about not playing games. So most of the country shut down, and, and he's starting to rack up these 25-point performances. He's got a 40-plus-inch vertical, and the the shots come around. It, it has more consistent makes. I know you have some, some takes on it, but with the explosion off the bounce, with the lateral quickness, I think at worst he's a, a 3-and-D type guy. I'm a believer he'll reel in some of the crazy shots when he has more talent around him as well doesn't have to always take these quick little turnarounds every touch uh i like it i like the fit i'm i'm not i'm not as negative or down on as you are i have to see more looking forward to seeing in person this year like a lot of these guys but uh right move for for him right now and based on where the the rest of the cards are kind of falling well and I, I wouldn't even say I'm down on him. Like, I think he's a legit, legitimately like really interesting long-term prospect. Like, unquestionably, he's six foot five, has a great frame, seems to have great length. Don't you think? Yes. Yeah. When when he goes up on the break and kind of like extends his arm way back, cocks it back to dunk. It, it seems like that. I don't know what the actual measurement number is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, real athleticism out on the break, kind of like you're saying, has shown some pull-up ability for sure. Uh, reminds me a lot of Lonnie Walker. When I saw mm. him. All right. That's a, that's a decent comparison. Yeah. Well, well, uh, Lonnie, Lonnie kind of fell in love more so at Miami with the with his jumper. I, mean, I, I remember watching him at BC down the street here, and he, he took one wild shot at the end of the game. And, and he's developed. I mean, Lonnie has become a, a more complete player than he was. But I, I like that. I, I saw yesterday some Jamal Murray stuff, and ooh, buddy. Just very, uh, I think they're I, different. I, 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 I feel like I'm the old guy yelling at clouds today. Jamal Murray averaged 32 points per game and shot 55% from three in a playoff series versus Utah, which included three straight 40-plus point games. And then in high school was doing like yoga and meditation post-game to decompress after his misses. Different players. Not it. I mean, their trade charts would be very good. Jamal Murray is very, very good. More of a, a combo, scoring, shooting guy that hits you with daggers and Shaden Sharp can hit threes, but that's not his game. I wouldn't say it's his calling card. Well, it, it reminds me more of Lonnie Walker. The reason I bring up Lonnie Walker specifically is that that stuff in Miami with Lonnie when he was there, he was coming off of like a meniscus tear, if I remember correctly, in high mm, school. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. late or maybe the summer of his senior year, he tore his meniscus. And he just kind of wasn't the same guy. But if you watched him in AAU... And like I think he played for Team Final, if I remember he correctly. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? Um, and you watched him like play for his high school team in Reading. Like it was okay. I'm explosive. I am attacking closeouts. I am driving to the rim and finishing. And I'm like making catch and shoot threes, right? And occasionally like getting to my pull up and knocking down shots. But it was mostly like threes off of the catch or pull-up threes and drives to the rim without a ton of in-between game. With Shaden Sharp, I feel like I haven't seen a ton of in-between game from him. Um, I, I don't really love the shot mechanics in general, I would say. Um, has like a kind of half-body turn on the three-point shot. And then also doesn't seem real consistent in terms of release point at this stage. Mm -hmm. Um, And then does have good rhythm, like on the pull-up. Like does seem to like know, like have that like kind of body control and the ability to um, get to a decent shot that has a chance to go in from a variety of places. But he also doesn't have a ton of lift on that shot either. And... As you move up levels, I feel like that's a concern. Like, I think that part of the reason that 
someone like Cam Thomas, for instance, was successful this year at Summer League, is like he really elevates into that shot and kind of shoots over the top of guys despite the fact that he's six foot four. I'm not it feels like Shaden Sharp, despite being bigger than Cam Thomas, gets contested a little bit more um, because he doesn't quite elevate in the same way. And Cam's always kind of been this walking bucket type of guy that I don't even love his form, but he, it's so consistent. He gets it off. He knows how to create, and he's taking one-legged running jumpers and hitting them. It's like, all right, I guess that's it. Shaden Sharp, at least for the tape this summer, was still kind of experimenting with stuff. I like yeah. a more sort of what you're saying, this kinetic energy player, stronger frame, especially through the shoulders. I had similar hesitations with his jump shot form. It just varies. Doesn't always square his shoulders. He, he His knees can turn inwards. Mm. He fades a little bit. He, he takes that unnecessary like sidestep into deep threes, too. And yep. the, you, you can tell with, with misses, too. He doesn't miss consistently. Sometimes it's yep. short. It's left. It's right. You don't know what you're getting. It'll improve. And... Even with his uh, explosion and vertical pop on the break and at the rim, he still has to play better through contact. There, yep. There's clips where he'll jump up and he'll kind of do that, like, Blake Griffin throw at the rim dunk thing. If somebody touches him, like, he misses. Or if you go on the fast break and he's on your hip, he's not necessarily always lifting up and, and dunking. I think that can come with more reps and confidence with his own yep. strength. But go back. I mean, go back and watch the highlights of all his dunks, and I'm guilty of it. I, I posted a video. They're all kind of like low jumps with space oh, totally. and time to take yep. it off. And not not necessarily saying that it, it can't evolve from there. We've seen a lot of guys be able to do it, but it's it's a different level of athleticism. See, that that's exactly what I wanted to bring up. He's a significant two-foot load leaper, which is fine. Like, well, it's not fine. Like, he needs to – it's fine for right now. Like, he can work on the footwork stuff and – get more out of his leaping ability i'm not saying that like he can't improve being a two-foot load leaper like i think that you can kind of see it you know what i mean um but he doesn't go up through contact in the same like i got told like he's kind of someone told me he's like an anthony edwards athlete in terms of like vertical pop and the ability to like go through guys and that does not show up on tape in the half court at all no what one on one on oh if the if ant does a dunk then shane does a jump dunk we can talk about that but in in game scenarios it's it's not there yet and, and anthony was much better in the nba too and you have more of an opportunity to have space on those back cuts on the baseline when the defense can't be on the other side of the paint because the defense are three seconds and if a guy rotates he's still going to go through you and i think shane will get there but he's not there yeah I don't know if he's going to go through people. I'll say that, but he's strong. He's strong enough for his body can. It's, it's probably just more of a mentality too. I mean, once once he the three, yeah. uh, I believe he shot like thirty six percent during the complete grassroots season from distance, and then he was like forty six percent during the summer. Like really hit his stride, really hit his rhythm. Once yep. that starts developing, his mid range stuff for now consists of like one step in, put the ball behind the back, and take a mid range pull up. Yep. It's just piecing it. It's once you get the the three all the way down, the respect the mid range, then you're not going to hesitate as much when the defender rotates. You have to rise up and try to dunk on him. Well, and, and he goes away from contact. Like he'll yes, like shies. He'll jump stop, two foot load leap, and then like kind of go away from the rim as opposed to like going into the rim. Um, this this is all like nitpicky oh, to an extent. Then, yeah. <laughs> um, he is still a great prospect like i think he's and part of the conversation here is that the 2022 recruiting class has been like kind of picked over a little bit mm-hmm. um jalen duran obviously reclassified imani bates reclassified um you know, I'm, I'm trying to think who who else reclassified. Did a couple other people? Yeah, you're you're, you're putting me on Jump Street here, but it it, it has kind of like evolved away from what it was thought to be, and, and guys well, classing up. But it's it's not like scraps. But like these are when you take the the top away from the class, this is what happens. Yeah, was Scooter Henderson in that class at one yep, point? Yep, that's a good one. He yeah, um, and like I, I think that all of those guys are better than shade and sharp at this point not to say that that's a bad thing though because i think that all three of those guys are um you know likely top five picks with shade and sharp i see a ceiling as being a potential top five pick long term if 
all of these tools that we're talking about in terms of length, in terms of um, explosiveness, you know, potential, in terms of shooting potential. Because like Penny said, I think he's like a career 35, 36% three-point shooter. So there's a real base there for him to grow from in terms of his shooting ability. Um, He could very well be a top five pick, but I do think that when I've seen him thus far, it's been more he's not like a no-brainer, like top six pick. Like he has a chance to be that, but I, I would probably think he's more of like a late lottery guy right now, personally. Yeah, and, and these are all like conversations that NBA teams have as well. Like you're you're investing a ton into a player and a prospect. You're not just gonna say, Hey, it looks good. Like what what can I actually improve on and what do we need to focus in on when we go yep. to Lexington and scout them in a year? Yeah, and, and like someone like Chris Livingston, right? Like I really like Chris Livingston a lot. Um, I think Shaden Sharp's ceiling is higher than Chris Livingston's, right? He is, and and I think Eric Bossy was the one who said it that like Chris Livingston is, is sort of this bulldog, tough, like Lance yep. Stevenson type mold of player, which is a, a ten year NBA guy. Like let's not get it twisted, but it's it's different levels of it. Right. And I'll be honest, like I think Chris Livingston is probably gonna be more effective as a college basketball player than Shaden Sharp right. is. But that doesn't matter. And it's gonna be funny because like, you know, you look at twenty four seven right now and Chris Livingston is like a hundred percent in the crystal ball to Kentucky, right? Um so they are probably, it seems like, going to end up playing together uh, based off of that alone and not my own reporting. So do not aggregate that. Um, like, I, I would anticipate, like, Chris Livingston, he strikes me as being an incredible small ball four for the college yes. basketball game. Like, I think he's going to yeah. be unbelievable in that role. And Chaden Sharp's going to be like a wing that plays a Kentucky and runs off of these screens. And, you know, maybe John Calipari does actually change the offense this year. I'm, you know, definitely in the mode of let's see it first before believing it but i I don't know like i'm shaden sharp to me looks like a very very interesting long-term prospect that is not like a traditional number one overall player in a class or a uh, guaranteed like top six pick you know what i mean sure sure and and another one just not to beat the drum too much had a two-year deal to play with G League Ignite and chose college instead. So, again, thank you, NIL. Yeah. If you had to pick the number one player in the 2022 recruiting class right now, who would you pick? Mm, gosh. I, I, You know what? I'm, I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna cop out a little bit here because I haven't seen enough guys in person to really do it. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm probably – this is anti just like my belief system because I, I hate bigs. I'd say right now could be Derek Lively. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like Amari Bailey, but I, I have to see Shaden Sharp in person before I actually give it like a, a true stamp. So I, I've really only seen like the top ten to fifteen guys. Like I've seen a little bit of Adam Bona. I've seen a little bit of uh, MJ Rice because I think that you and I were texting about him, and you know after he committed to Kansas, and I was trying to figure out okay, like is he interesting? Is he good? Um, I've obviously seen pretty good amount of Dior Johnson. Uh, I, I really think like that, Deontay George. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that my top two right now would be, I think my top three would be Amari Bailey, Derek Lively, Keontae George. I would say that I think Derek Lively is the player in the class most likely to like be an NBA starter. Um, like, I, I would be pretty surprised at this point if he's not like a high-level NBA starter at some point. Yeah, I, I also like, if he puts it all together, Brandon Miller. Six eight wing, good length, shoots it, defends a little bit, but it's it's a it's open man, it's open season when when you lose yeah. guys that um, I don't know if you'd say people expected to still be there, but it wasn't necessarily like a done deal until late in the game. Like the Jalen Duran thing was was in motion, but didn't really. I mean, I watched play Pangos and whatever it was this summer, and then he got eligible late, so right. it was just expected he would still kind of be there. And, and now we're we're scrambling, and the rankings don't have to be right, and. Guys develop, and it, it's it's different. And with Shaden Sharp, it, it's been such this explosion of out of ranks, and then I think twenty four seven had him like sixty fifth, like prior to the season, and then he explodes, and now he's one. So he, right. he's also got to deal with it too, because a lot of stuff comes with those type of expectations once you fly up draft boards, like a guy like Markel Fultz did. It's it's a also yep. a burden to continue to have to back that up. 
Yeah, and the thing with Shaden Sharp that is worth remembering too is he is on a an incredible upward trajectory that makes you think he's yes. going to keep getting better and he's going to keep getting better. So uh, definitely is a real and shot. Work, and, and works and works. That everything it says is like he gets to the gym and works. He he wasn't yep. he wasn't. I mean, he's frustrated, but he wasn't turned off by not being as productive at Sunrise Christian before he left. Just spent the the summer in the gym getting better and developed his shot to the point where he shot forty plus percent from three to end the summer. Yep. Um, yeah, very interesting 2022 recruiting class. And the last thing I'll finish on is this year is going to be a wild one for Kentucky. You know, they have gotten Shaden Sharp already. They have Sky Clark, who is recovering from a knee injury still, right? ACL, yep, coming back. Um, that's two of the top 11 players in the class. They are currently the favorites for Derek Lively. They are currently mm-hmm. the favorites for Chris Livingston. Uh, mm-hmm. They are currently the favorites for Cason Wallace. <laughs> yes. That would um, be a, a haul, as what I said. The the dominoes have started to fall, and yeah. it was a, a good first one there, and I, I think many guys will follow. Yeah, and I mean, Adam Bona is 100% to Kentucky, too, on 24-7. Yeah, that would, uh, there'd be some expectations if you land all those guys. Yeah, that would be one, two, three, <laughs> four, five, six of the top 13 players hey, in still, the composite s- ranking. Still, still got to play the game. Still won basketball. Still got to figure it out. Great on yeah. paper. Still got to figure it out. John Calipari, I think, is uh, he's he's he might be back <laughs> in terms of recruiting. <laughs> Who's back, back of the week? John Calipari is back. Um, where he went. Okay, we'll take another quick commercial break, and we'll finish up with just some like stray thoughts on OTE and uh, a couple guys that are hurt right now. Okay, uh, Overtime Elite has their roster now, and we just wanted to kind of close the loop on it. You and I have talked quite a bit about who are they going to play. Like, I feel like we don't know that necessarily. There is not a schedule link on their schedule. We have roster, academics, leadership, no schedule. So hopefully that's updated soon because it is September 8th and the season starts momentarily. Yeah, we have some questions uh, about how this whole thing is going to go, but they have 24 kids and there was a point where I had some worries that they were not going to get 24 kids. Um, they've gotten some really good kids as well. Like the Buley twins are really, really good. Um, you mentioned before we were on that you really like Jazzy and Gortman, right? I do. Jay Gort, like him a lot. Um, uh, another late blooming kid, but I, like that one, I get it. Like, okay, you're, th- this makes sense for that kid to get. They got the Thompson twins, who I think are really good. They got John Montero, who is going to help them, particularly this year, uh, stay in the conversation because he's likely going to be a first-round pick in the 2022 NBA draft. So, overall, I think that... the my expectations for this were maybe a little bit too low given the amount of money that they're throwing around in trying to well, what persuade do you mean by, kids. What, what do you mean by low expectations? You, you thought the roster would be better or worse? I thought it'd be worse. I'll be honest. Really? I did. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought that they would um, struggle to get kids. I thought they would really struggle to get kids. Um, well, but to end up with like the Buley twins or what? Like top top 15 kids in their class. The Thompson twins are top 20 kids in their class. Um, sure. John, John Montero is going to be a first round pick. Like uh, you really like the Gortman kid. Um, like I'm, I'm not saying that like they did an incredible job here, but I, I thought there was a chance that like they get six kids in the bottom falls out. You know what I mean? It's, it's really difficult because it's almost as kind of revolutionary ish of an idea. It, and it's not really their fault. It's just, they're like, two years late to market if this were here yeah. and there weren't g league ignite and there weren't name image and like this i think the roster would be like almost incredible because there's no other way of, of kind of playing here they wanted 30 guys on three teams now they're at 24 they may do like three teams of eight guys and juggle the players around the last guys they signed were just sort of fill-in guys and I, I don't envision this late signing somehow becoming lottery picks and it just felt that it, it kind of got off track a little bit and we read more on twitter and, and take it or leave it for how, how truthful it is but these mega two-year deals that people are saying no not not guys are saying yes 
I will say, you know how hard it is to have 20 or 30 like elite guys for sort of this still unproven platform? I mean, we, yeah. we just talked about it. Even the best blue blood colleges miss, and they need four guys per class. Now, times up by six, and, and that's where overtime's at. I was I, The way they pieced it together and, and on paper, it's not bad by by any means but i don't know if, if this were some sort of training academy we talked about this before we went on here like an nba global academy with a little bit of venture capital money behind it i get it and the roster makes sense with the rollout they had and the hubbub and the backing from jeff bezos these high-powered nba guys and kind of like a, a blank checkbook to go get guys i personally i thought they needed more of a return and you hope they had a Imani Bates, Jalen Duran, or, or sniping someone like Shaden Sharp that we just talked about. That's a good point. They didn't really get the the, high, guy. the super high profile guy because, like, which Buley is it? Ryan Buley that's like top five in twenty twenty four. Yeah, he, he's he's top five, and Matt's kind of like in the twenties. Yeah, um, not enough people know who Ryan Buley is, right? Like John Montero totally. might be the highest profile guy. I'm, I'm sorry, Matt, yeah, Matt's higher, not Ryan. I'm sorry, but he, Matt's higher. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, they're twins, so, guys. But like John Montero might be the highest profile guy they got, yeah. which is kind of strange, I think. But well, it, it, it's sort of strange when you look up the makeup of there's a there's a lot of international players here too, and part of the overtime alert is this is a this is a content company right like they need clicks they need eyeballs that's part of the reasoning behind this thing and there's not necessarily when you when you go to international guys and you know this the 2024 international draft class way better than i do i don't know if necessarily these guys are even pulling in eyeballs as opposed to some other people on the board yeah, I, I'm not real sure on a lot of these international kids, to be honest. Um, like, I, I haven't seen a lot of the, like, like Alexander Saar and the one Belgian kid, the Tudor Somanescu kid, um, or Soma, Soma Sescu, however the hell you say his name. Um, no disrespect, Tudor. I just don't know how to say your name. Um, I, I haven't seen those kids because they're just a little bit younger than what I typically like throw my feelers out in terms of um like international kids right like i know the hyper elite ones but i haven't been told anything about them being like hyper elite kids you know what i mean no well i know exactly what you mean and and it's sort of been i don't say shockwaves but some of the guys that they signed to to get to 24 the last three or four guys it was surprising in the grassroots space and the college coaching space like well what are they doing like that those kids aren't necessarily like pros like i don't know if they're gonna play pro after college and yeah you have you have to hit a certain number to to field the team in a roster and but, but you know what it, though like if you're those kids like those are the kind of kids that probably should be taking the overtime money. oh go get your money I've, I've talked to coaches about that if you're a kid who's the highest level you're going to play is mid-major or mid-major plus basketball and they're rolling out the red carpet and they said they're going to make you a star and pay all this money. Go get it. And, and I think part of it is on the back end, they pay for college afterwards if it doesn't right. work out. So it, it's a great deal for, for guys like that. I just don't know. I don't know what their metrics are for success either. Is it going to be certain views online? Is it going to be kind of G League night where we want all our guys to be first round picks? I don't know. It's, it's still kind of unproven waters to see how we get there. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, the big thing is just who do they play? Like I'm still still waiting to see who they play. Yeah, I don't. There was rumbling for a while about prep schools, and and that was a few weeks ago. And there's still no there's still no uh, no schedule up here. I, I don't. It's it's still a very great area if they play non pro schools. I, I'm going to leave that to smarter people because I I don't know the answer. Yeah, I don't know the answer either. I, I, more than anything, I'm just interested to see who they play. Like I, I'm but, not accusing anyone of anything i'm not like questioning anything i i just don't know who they play and and and, and they've they've done a decent job too if you if you go to the website and you it, it, it could be lip service who knows but i took a lot of like dumb classes in college because you, you have to we had to take general education courses i took entomology i took astronomy I took abnormal psychology stuff i don't really use to this day but they for their stuff their class-based stuff they said they're going to receive training in financial literacy social media training, advocacy in sports, mental health and wellness, and the business of basketball. To have that tool set to go into new agency meetings or you're meeting with a potential sponsor or endorsements to know what you're doing and not going in blind, there's 
value in that. I'm not saying that's the reason you do it, but the the program has been tailored to the hyper elite guy that's going to be in in boardrooms going forward, and you're more prepared than the average prospect. Yeah, I think that that's that's a good way to finish it because I think we are like somewhat we're, we're interested in where this goes. I think is the best way yes. to put it. Right. Um, okay. Let's finish on some injury stuff. So Alan Flanagan, I think, is the biggest profile one. He's going to miss three to four months uh, at Auburn. He is a six foot five lefty wing. I've kind of thought for a while that he's a really interesting prospect, has a great frame, has some potential to shoot. I'm going to be interested to see kind of where this goes with him because I think that he has some upside, but. Uh, I thought that he could have declared and probably gotten a second round pick this year. Yeah, um, but we'll see. I, ha- uh, he's- I had him. I had him as a breakout candidate name. I think a, a lot of people did. I'm not doing anything, saying yeah. anything crazy. I, I like the size and strength at six six. His points jump from like three points per game as a freshman to fourteen as a sophomore. Only thirty four percent from three. Going to need to shoot it. And he would have had a more expanded role with Sharif Cooper gone, JT Thor gone, and, and even Justin Powell transferring. So disappointed. I was disappointed to see that news come across the, the bottom line there. Yeah, I was too. Um, would really hinder the wing depth in this class if he doesn't come back totally healthy. Uh, three months from now would be what, like um, early December? Here, here. Yeah, you're basically talking conference play, I would think. Yeah, I, I would think he's going to be healthy for conference play. Um, Namari Burnett at Alabama, it seems like he's going to miss the entire year, right? Yeah, it stinks. It stinks. Tough one, too. Transferred, thought the Texas Tech thing would work. Really liked him out of high school, out of prolific prep. They did a great job down there with, with sort of the Javon Quinterly, the rejuvenation tour. So I was just kind of hoping that he'd fill that space. But, um, yeah, he's uh, he's out. Not good. Don't like that. Yeah, it sucks for the kid. I, I will say that I would have guessed that he would have come off the bench for Alabama. Uh, seems like Javon Quinterly is going to start at point. Jaden Shackelford's an all uh, SEC player returning to Alabama. JD Davison is a stud. I am an enormous. Yeah. See that that's that was kind of like the the turn. It's it's. You probably don't have room all the time to play those three together in Burnett, Quinterly, and J.D. Davidson. And, and J.D. Davidson's a up-and-down highlight guy. Still needs to do more in the half court, but he's he's electric. He's an electric player, and he would have found time for sure. And yeah. now it's just more so. Yeah. I was kind of wondering, like, is there a world where they do something weird, like playing Namari Burnett down at the four occasionally? They, um, they could do it. I mean, I don't know if you remember last year and you saw, like, their practices and their courts. They have, like, eight-point lines and right. 50 other, like, things on the court. And Nate Oates is not afraid to do stuff outside the box. So I wouldn't rule that out either. Right. Because, like, their front court depth right now is really only, like, Charles Bidiaco and Noah Gurley. Um in terms of like true bigs, like I, I would venture that Keon Ellis plays like a pretty significant amount of the four next year. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, the Namari Burnett thing sucks though because he's just has not gotten a clear runway. It seems like at any point of his college career so far. Yeah, not yet. Uh, Ohio State Michi Johnson is going to be out for a little while. Seth Towns is going to be out for a little while. Unfortunately, um, you know that just hinders their depth. They have enough depth to recover from that uh seth towns is the one that just really stinks because he also has just never gotten a clear runway in terms of injury injury bug forever yeah um and then finally a little surprise for the people you were invited to the college basketball event of the season oh boy this past weekend the john rothstein (laughs) wedding Tell tell us about the Rothstein wedding. I was wedding, that was Matt that was that was that was on an injury. I was like, oh man, did I miss something? What happened this weekend? I did. John is a uh, peek behind the curtain. John is a very good friend, been a friend for a long time. So had his wedding this weekend in New York. It was very uh, very John Rothstein. We drank and ate all night. There, the food just never stopped. And I'm a huge cocktail hour guy. I wish weddings could just be cocktail hours. Just yeah here's some drinks and here's past appetizers I'm like the the master of appetizers they had seafood towers and pasta bars and asian inspired foods and dishes and the, the best part was john is is um 
uh, is a great person, and, and he is. It, it's not a shtick. Like this is who John is. So <laughs> the night's winding down. It's like eleven o'clock, and uh, the waiters and waitresses start serving ice cream on the dance floor. I'm like this is wild, man. Like they're ser- like this is like their late night snack. I turn my head, and twenty minutes later, they're serving pizza slices on the dance floor. I'm like, this is <laughs> this is perfect. I, I don't know what I did deserve to get here, but it was uh, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Oh my god, that is and, and, that and is... An, ama- an amazing band too. I, I'm very I'm very pro DJ over band, just generally speaking. Yeah, um, my. I talked to my friend Zach about this. I think DJs have a higher floor, yes. but bands have a higher ceiling. If we want to pull back the draft talk, and this band yeah. was uh, in- insane. I mean, they had like four singers that took turns singing everything from Billy Joel to Biggie Smalls to, who knows, Black Eyed Peas, The Who. They, they covered it all. So that can, uh, can really make a night. And we-, we told John, too, and said, can I hold your phone during the ceremony? Like, there's no need to tweet. He's like, no, nah, I gotta have my pocket. I'm like, dude, come, like, what could break right now? What could? He's like, no, it's on silent. Don't worry about it. So I wake up the day of the wedding, and I look at his Twitter. He's tweeted eight times. I'm like, you son of, like, come on, dude, just like one day, just stop, just stop, just take a deep breath. Oh my god, um, DJ is definitely you're 100 percent right about the high floor thing because like I had some, like you know, some. Our DJ was fine. He was not like incredible, um, but it still was great. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. No, like they, even, like, because you can play specific songs and do that hit. I've seen some not really bad bands, but just it's like ah, it's not really like the the look and feel of what it should be. And they, these guys were good. Guys and girls right. were really really good. Yeah. Um, that's glad. I'm glad that I'm glad that Rothstein is happy and healthy and married. I'm glad that you got to go. There were uh, uh, I've heard that there were quite a few um, quite a few college basketball dignitaries. Oh, there are some dignitaries. No, I won't name names. One of the things I did think was cool was no uh, names. Uh, I don't. I don't want to think people um, think I'm like this anti-vaxxer or anything because I went to a wedding. They, you had to show, had to upload your vaccination card before you got there. So then when you got there, you wore a mask, you scanned the QR code or whatever it is, and then you went in. That was kind of like the new, newish reality. Or if you wanted to eat, you had to have your vaccination card in New York. It's uh, yeah, evolving, changing world that we're in to still have some stuff happen. It wasn't Virginia Tech when there was a, <laughs> a hundred thousand people jumping in the stands, but uh, yeah, I, I felt safer that way. I guess. Man, that Florida State game looked like the most fun thing. There was a, there was the a few people there. <laughs> it looked so so fun, and I am like, just, I think that like just from having to sit at home for a little while now, like I am so jealous of like people that were. No, there. you must be. You must have cabin fever. That's why you're losing weight. You're just. Yeah. disappointed it can't be out there in the wild yeah well jumping uh, around in big 10 country we've got we've got 40 minutes until the impending u.s men's national team disaster matt penny against honduras yeah. i'm not uh not super enthused about the way this is going to go but i uh, thank you for recording early and thank you for coming back to the game theory podcast we'll be back later this week uh to talk about ben simmons maybe it's traded at some point in the next 48 hours and we'll have something real to talk about um but if not we're going to talk a little bit about just kind of where he stands in the nba uh and then next week penny will be back we'll have this is two episodes a week going forward for sure um really appreciate everyone that's listened uh especially to the um off-season content that we've done it's i'm so blown away by the listenership it's honestly uh it has grown so substantially over the course of the last six months and that's in no small part due to matthew penny over there that's come on man um definitely i'm very appreciative of the audience that we have and very appreciative of what uh you guys the listeners have built for us so far here so until next time we'll talk soon bye